My name is Ronald Reagan. I have been asked to talk on uh, several subjects that have to do with the problems of the day. It must seem presumptuous to some of you that a member of my profession would stand here and attempt to talk to anyone on serious problems that face the nation and the world. It would be strange if it were otherwise. Most of us in Hollywood are very well aware of the concept or the misconception that many people, our fellow citizens, have about people in show business. It was only a generation ago that people of my profession couldn't be buried in the churchyard. Of course, the world has improved since then. We can be buried now. As a matter of fact, the eagerness of some of you to perform that service gets a little frightening at times. Now, back in 1927, an American socialist, Norman Thomas, six times candidate for president on the Socialist Party ticket, said the American people would never vote for socialism. But he said, under the name of liberalism, the American people will adopt every fragment of the socialist program. There are many ways in which our government has invaded the precincts of private citizens, the uh, method of earning a living. Our government is in business to the extent of owning more than 19,000 businesses covering 47 different lines of activity. This amounts to a fifth of the total industrial capacity of the United States. But at the moment, I'd like to talk about another way because this threat is with us and at the moment is more imminent. One of the traditional methods of imposing statism or socialism on a people has been by way of medicine. It's very easy to disguise a medical program as a humanitarian project. Most people are a little reluctant to oppose anything that suggests medical care for people who possibly can't afford it. Now, the American people, if you put it to them about socialized medicine and gave them a chance to choose, would unhesitatingly vote against it. We had an example of this under the Truman administration. It was proposed that we have a compulsory health insurance program for all people in the United States, and of course, the American people unhesitatingly rejected this. So with the American people on record as not wanting socialized medicine, Congressman Ferrand introduced the Ferrand Bill. This was the idea that all people of Social Security age should be brought under a program of compulsory health insurance. Now, this would not only be our senior citizens, this would be the dependents and those who are disabled. This would be young people if they are dependents of someone eligible for Social Security. Now, Congressman Ferrand brought the program out on that idea of just for that particular group of people. But Congressman Ferrand was subscribing to this foot-in-the-door philosophy because he said, if we can only break through and get our foot inside the door, then we can expand the program after that. Walter Ruther said, it's no secret that the United Automobile Workers is officially on record as backing a program of national health insurance. And by national health insurance, he meant socialized medicine for every American. Well, let's see what the socialists themselves had to say about it. They say, once the Ferrand bill is passed, this nation will be provided with a mechanism for socialized medicine capable of indefinite expansion in every direction until it includes the entire population. Well, we can't say we haven't been warned. Now, Congressman Ferrand is no longer a congressman of the United States government. He has been replaced, not in his particular assignment, but in his backing of such a bill by Congressman King of California. It is presented in the idea of a great emergency that millions of our senior citizens are unable to provide needed medical care. But this ignores the fact that in the last decade, 127 million of our citizens in just 10 years 
have come under the protection of some form of privately owned medical or hospital insurance. Now the advocates of this bill, when you try to oppose it, challenge you on an emotional basis. They say, what would you do? Throw these poor old people out to die with no medical attention? That's ridiculous, and of course, no one has advocated it. As a matter of fact, in the last session of Congress, a bill was adopted known as the Kerr-Mills Bill. Now, without even allowing this bill to be tried, to see if it works, they have introduced this King Bill, which is really the Ferran Bill. What is the Kerr-Mills Bill? It is a frank recognition of the medical need or problem of our senior citizens that I've mentioned. And it is provided from the federal government money to the states and the local communities that can be used at the discretion of the state to help those people who need it. Now, what reason could the other people have for backing a bill which says we insist on compulsory health insurance for senior citizens on a basis of age alone, regardless of whether they are worth millions of dollars, whether they have an income, whether they're protected by their own insurance, whether they have savings. I think we could be excused for believing that, as ex-Congressman Ferran said, this was simply an excuse to bring about what they wanted all the time, socialized medicine. James Madison, in 1788, speaking to the Virginia Convention, said, since the general civilization of mankind, I believe there are more instances of the abridgment of the freedom of the people by gradual and silent encroachment of those in power than by violent and sudden usurpations. They want to attach this bill to Social Security, and they say here is a great insurance program now instituted, now working. Let's take a look at Social Security itself. Again, very few of us disagree with the original premise that there should be some form of saving that would keep destitution from following unemployment by reason of death, disability, or old age. And to this end, Social Security was adopted. But it was never intended to supplant private savings, private insurance, pension programs of unions and industries. Now, in our country, under our free enterprise system, we have seen medicine reach the greatest heights that it has in any country in the world. Today, the relationship between patient and doctor in this country is something to be envied any place. The privacy, the care that is given to a person, the right to choose a doctor, the right to go from one doctor to the other. But let's also look from the other side at the freedom the doctor loses. A doctor would be reluctant to say this. Well, like you, I'm only a patient, so I can say it in his behalf. The doctor begins to lose freedoms. It's like telling a lie, and one leads to another. First, you decide that the doctor can have so many patients, they're equally divided among the various doctors by the government. But then the doctors aren't equally divided geographically. So a doctor decides he wants to practice in one town, and the government has to say to him, you can't live in that town, they already have enough doctors, you have to go someplace else. And from here, it's only a short step to dictating where he will go. This is a freedom that I wonder whether any of us have the right to take from any human being. I know how I'd feel if you, my fellow citizens, decided that to be an actor, I had to become a government employee and work in a national theater. Take it into your own occupation or that of your husband. All of us can see what happens once you establish the precedent that the government can determine a man's working place and his working methods, determine his employment. From here, it's a short step to all the rest of socialism, to determining his pay. And pretty soon, your son won't decide when he's in school where he will go or what he will do for a living. He will wait for the government to tell him where he will go to work and what he will do. 
In this country of ours took place the greatest revolution that has ever taken place in world's history, the only true revolution. Every other revolution simply exchanged one set of rulers for another. But here, for the first time in all the thousands of years of man's relation to man, a little group of men, the Founding Fathers, for the first time, established the idea that you and I had within ourselves the God-given right and ability to determine our own destiny. This freedom was built into our government with safeguards. We talk democracy today, and strangely, we let democracy begin to assume the aspect of majority rule is all that is needed. Well, majority rule is a fine aspect of democracy, provided there are guarantees written in to our government concerning the rights of the individual and of the minorities. What can we do about this? Well, you and I can do a great deal. We can write to our congressmen, to our senators. We can say right now that we want no further encroachment on these individual liberties and freedoms. And at the moment, the key issue is we do not want socialized medicine. Now, you may think when I say write to the congressman or the senator that this is like writing fan mail to a television program. It isn't. In Washington today, 40,000 letters, less than 100 per congressman, are evidence of a trend in public thinking. Representative Halleck of Indiana has said, when the American people want something from Congress, regardless of its political complexion, if they make their wants known, Congress does what the people want. So write. It's as simple as finding just the name of your congressman or your senator, and then you address your letter to that individual's name, if he's a congressman, to the House Office Building, Washington, D.C., if he's a senator, to the Senate Office Building, Washington, D.C. And if this man writes back to you and tells you that he, too, is for free enterprise, but we have these great services and so forth that must be performed by government, don't let him get away with it. Show that you have not been convinced. Write a letter right back and tell him that you believe in government economy and fiscal responsibility, that you know that governments don't tax to get the money they need. Governments will always find a need for the money they get, and that you demand the continuation of our traditional free enterprise system. You and I can do this. The only way we can do it is by writing to our congressman, even if we believe that he's on our side to begin with, write to strengthen his hand, give him the ability to stand before his colleagues in Congress and say, I have heard from my constituents and this is what they want. Write those letters now, call your friends and tell them to write them. If you don't, this program, I promise you, will pass just as surely as the sun will come up tomorrow. And behind it will come other federal programs that will invade every area of freedom as we have known it in this country. Until one day, as Norman Thomas said, we will awake to find that we have socialism. And if you don't do this, and if I don't do it, one of these days, you and I are going to spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Mr. Reagan's concern is very real, and all of us who are equally concerned should follow his advice. Now, you may wonder just what sort of letter to write your congressman. The answer is almost any letter, so long as it reflects your thinking your convictions, your feelings, and so long as you use your own words and put them in your own handwriting. Perhaps a little background on the subject of socialized medicine will prove helpful to you. To begin with, socialized medicine simply means compulsory national health insurance. Medicine controlled and administered by the federal government, financed through compulsory taxation. 
For many years, an attempt has been made to socialize the practice of medicine through the Social Security tax mechanism. The American people and Congress have rejected overwhelmingly these attempts. Last year, Representative Farrand attempted to establish the principle of socialized medicine by applying it only to the elderly at first. He and others like him counted on the concern we all feel for those of the aged in need of help. The Farrand bill failed. But this year, another congressman has stepped forward to lead the forces of socialized medicine, Representative King of California. It is his measure, H.R. 4222, or the King Bill, that now threatens the free practice of medicine. The supporters of the King Bill contend that most of the aged are in poor health, and that most of the aged are financially unable to pay for their own medical care. The fact is that most of the aged are in reasonably good health, and most are in reasonably good shape financially. Surveys prove both points. However, I'm sure that we all recognize that some of our older people are in poor health, and some can't afford to pay for the health care they need. That's why the Doctors of America strongly supported the legislation passed during the last Congress, the so-called Kerr-Mills Law. They felt, and have always felt, that people who need medical help should get it, but that tax dollars should not be used to pay the medical and hospital bills of those who are perfectly able to pay their own. Physicians favored the Kerr-Mills law because it would help those of the elderly who need help, help them quickly and effectively, and do so without wasting either the taxpayer's money or destroying the basic American freedoms involved in our system of medical practice. The Kerr-Mills law is now being put into effect. It permits the individual states to guarantee to every American over 65 who needs help the health care he requires. It benefits all older persons unable to meet the cost of a serious or chronic illness. It specifically allows the individual states to run their own programs. It provides for local administration and local determination of need and is financed from both the federal and state general tax funds. Without even giving this program a chance to prove what it can do, the King Bill, H.R. 4222, was introduced. Here's how it would work. The federal government would buy a limited amount of hospitalization, nursing home care, home health services, and outpatient hospital diagnostic services for all eligible to receive Social Security retirement payments, regardless of their financial means. The number of days the beneficiary could receive these services is limited, and the patient would be required to pay $10 a day for the first nine days spent in a hospital and $20 for each complete diagnostic study made. Physician services in the fields of radiology, pathology, physiatry, and anesthesiology would be included, plus the services of interns and residents and those serving the outpatient clinics. There is little doubt but what the program would soon be expanded to include all physician services, as well as to cover the entire population thus completely socializing medicine in the United States. The federal government would set up the rules and regulations under which the program would operate. And everyone who pays Social Security taxes would help pay the bill, because taxes would be raised 
beyond the 9% of taxable payroll already scheduled in the years ahead. I'm sure many of you are wondering why there's any objection to using the Social Security system to finance medical care for the aged. Well, first of all, it is a misnomer to think of Social Security as being insurance. In the Nestor versus Fleming case, heard before the Supreme Court in 1959, the Department of Justice in its brief said, quote, the OASI program is in no sense a federally administered insurance program under which each worker pays premiums over the years and acquires at retirement an indefeasible right to receive a fixed monthly benefit. The contributions exacted are a tax." Unquote. Many people also have the mistaken impression that Social Security benefits are paid out of accumulated reserves, similar to private insurance programs when in truth the program is financed almost entirely on a pay-as-you-go basis with the benefits paid out of current income. Pay-as-you-go means that the government raises through current taxes just enough money to pay the cost of the benefits currently due. No one prepays his own benefits. Today's taxpayers pay for today's beneficiaries. The acceptance of the King Bill would actually mean that our children and grandchildren will be asked to pay ever-increasing Social Security taxes to finance the medical care needs of the previous generations. With growing families, young people have enough difficulty trying to make ends meet without assuming the additional obligation of paying higher taxes to pay for the medical care needs of all over 65, many of whom are in better financial shape than those paying the tax. Now this is the choice we're faced with. On the one hand, we can help those who need help while preserving the right of the self-reliant to finance their own care, or we can legislate a compulsory national health scheme for the aged, regardless of whether they need it or not. To put this choice in even sharper focus, Americans are being asked to choose between a system of medicine practiced in freedom and a system of socialized medicine for the elderly, which will be expanded into socialized medicine for every man, woman, and child in the United States. Your letter will help determine the outcome of this struggle. Remember what Ronald Reagan said. Write those letters now, call your friends, and tell them to write them. If you don't, this program, I promise you, will pass just as surely as the sun will come up tomorrow. And behind it will come other federal programs that will invade every area of freedom as we have known it in this country. Until, one day, as Norman Thomas said, we will awake to find that we have socialism. And if you don't do this, and if I don't do it, one of these days, you and I are going to spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. <laughs>